0: Thank you, Sandy. I love that you sang that song. I love that song. That is such a perfect song for what we're going to talk about today. What a wonderful introduction. So, I said that this week I taught the first uh, little bit of the class on the book, Breaking the Ten Commandments. And we had a really good turnout. We had some great people. And during that class, I shared a statement with them from Eric Butterworth that Eric Butterworth said Jesus was an iconoclast. Jesus was an iconoclast, which is an interesting word. It's even a hard word to say. An iconoclast. What is an iconoclast? An iconoclast basically is someone who breaks down the standards for how things are done, for how things are seen, for what's understood, who questions things and causes people to question things. In, in we would say, a bit of a rebel Someone who did things differently. So, you are all (laughs) iconoclasts, in case no one ever told you. The people that get called into this kind of a path, who really take on the study, not just who come because, oh, my friends are here and I like it, Uh, they have good coffee, I can get a free lunch. There's no such thing as a free lunch. (laughs) The people who come here just because it's a nice place to be or because it's in the neighborhood, not so much. But if you're really studying and you're learning what's being offered here, you're an iconoclast. You're a person who somehow knows from the inside of your being that things are not quite the way they're stereotypically taught and that unity offers things in a little different way. And mostly, unity gives you spiritual freedom, the ability to think for yourself, the encouragement to think for yourself. In fact, almost a mandate, isn't it? That if you're going to be here, you've got to think for yourself. We're not going to hand you God on a silver platter. We're not going to tell you what you're supposed to think. We're going to invite you in. And no matter what your spiritual background is or what is true for you, there's a place here for you. There's a place for you to go deeper a place for you to consider. As you do that, you're going to hear some things and go, man, that is right on. That's exactly how I feel about that. And then you're going to hear other things and go, eh, no. No, 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 that's not how it is for me. Yes, yay. (laughs) You're supposed to do that. I've often said here, if if at least 30% of the time you're not questioning if I know what I'm talking about, You're not doing your work. You're not thinking for yourself. You've reached a point where you're just coming in and taking rather than being engaged. So if you feel uncomfortable sometimes with what I say, that's perfectly good. I want you to be uncomfortable. I've said this before. A minister's job is comfort the afflicted and afflict those who are too comfortable. (laughs) Right? That's our job. Shake you up a little bit. So I'm likely to shake you up a little bit this morning because I'm going to tell you the things about unity that I absolutely agree with and the places with unity, within unity that I veer away. I perhaps don't completely disagree, but I certainly see things through a different filter. And I'm going to share some of those with you because I want you to think about them for yourself. And I want you to realize that when you think about these things, you have to go deeper down into them. So I wanna start with the things that I agree with, and the first of those is spiritual freedom. And there's a unity minister in South Florida who's a professor. His name is Del Deschamps, and he wrote this, and it perfectly describes how I feel. The first and effectively only doctrine of unity is the doctrine of spiritual freedom. Unity is perhaps the largest religion in the world without canon, creed, or doctrine. In principle and practice, there are no normative teachings. The looseness of unity's doctrine means that the literature of and about the movement gives only a partial picture of unity's actual practice. You can only get so much by reading the books. It's just a partial picture. Because part of what unity is, is your unique perspective. That is part of what unity is. So when you have the desire to say, but unity thinks this to someone else, you're imposing on their spiritual freedom. Their experience of unity might be vastly different. Listen to what they have to say. Hear it and run it through your own filters and see what happens. The second piece that I agree with 100% is that we can define unity as mystical. Charles Fillmore is most often referred to as a modern mystic. This matters. It's, we listen to it and go, oh, he was a mystic. What the heck is that? Most of us don't even think about what it means to be a mystic. Mysticism is rooted in experiential theology. And I consider myself an experiential theologist. That's, that is my practice. My practice is what does it feel like? Which is why here in this particular unity community, we do a little bit more actual ritual and ceremony than you may find in others because ritual and ceremony takes us to personal experience. Charles Fillmore was a mystic who learned by experience. He watched his wife have an experience in healing and decided if it was truly a spiritual experience, it should work for him as well. And he engaged actual practices, not just read another book. So some churches are not mystical in nature. In some churches, the focus is to memorize the scripture, to read the particular book, to quote the particular words. That's not us. Unity is based in mysticism. In our, we are rooted in our personal experience. And that is what we're really pursuing. When we really get down and we take all the fluff off, all the ways we do it, and say, what are we really doing here? We're really working to have a personal relationship with the indwelling divine, a personal one-on-one experience of the holy that emerges from us, not from anybody up on this platform, not from anybody out there, from any book. But an actual understanding that we have a connection with the divine, that we are expressing the divine, and the divine is not only around us, but is moving through us. And when we have that, everything else we teach in unity becomes just a tool. Really, without that, the tools are designed to take you back to that. So we have these five principles. One of them is that there is one presence and one power, and that we are one with it, that it moves around us, through us, and that our being emerges from that. I agree with that. One presence and one power. Not one God on high outside of us, but one presence and power that moves through us, from us, and all around us that we take our being in that. And when we know that, then there are are natural assumptions we can make. One of those is our second principle, which is because we know that presence is good, then we know we are good. So how do we know that presence is good? We only know it if we're doing our work, right? We can only really know, I can tell you all day that presence is good. And you can go, yep, yep. It's true, that presence is good. You don't have a clue, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just because I said it, Ben. I could say anything up here. You know that presence is good because you feel it in the center of your being, because you're one with it, because your real effort is to be in contact. Once you know that presence is good and you know you emerge from that presence, there is no question for you that you are good, because you are it. That's where it, where it expresses it. So, in order to move that presence, we use our thoughts. We believe that our thoughts affect the moving substance of the divine. So, how we think matters because it actually moves things. Well, how can you know that? You can't know it unless you know what the divine feels like. What the heck are you moving You're just thinking. (laughs) If you want to move the divine, you have to find the divine. So Charles and Myrtle did something special. And why doesn't it always work for everybody? Because it's about a heck of a lot more than just thinking. It first is rooted in a knowledge of the holy inside. A personal experiential knowledge. Not a learned knowledge. But a mystical experience of oneness with the divine. And once we have that, we can think differently. We can think from the goodness of who we are, and we can move forward. We can meditate to get to know that presence more deeply, to settle in and make space for that presence to communicate with us. Sometimes meditation is the perfect way to go back here. Meditation is really about listening. Different than prayer, which changes our state of being. We pray... In unity, we don't pray to God out there, please come fix this. We pray, let me be in the perfect receptive place. Ephetah lebach. Be open, my heart. And then we wait. Because God is not fast food. <laughs> right? We make a <laughs> listening space so that the holy can come. And finally, our fifth Principle says, until you do something with that, it's not enough. You can't just say, Cool, I know it. Now I can go out in the world and live however I want, no matter who I hurt or what I do. When we have found the Holy Presence inside of ourselves and we live from that, our whole sense of who we are and how we live will be different. We will naturally behave from the holy center of our being. So, all of those things. Man, I'm there. Got it. I believe that. It's, it is... When I came to unity and I got that much, I thought, eh, this is nothing new. I've heard all of these things in other traditions. This is not... Why is this something special? Charles and Fillmore said, we're not unique. We're not special. We cherry-pick the best of every religion we just pulled the best of it together. That's why unity works for me because universal capital T truth should cross all boundaries. This stuff crosses all boundaries. So if you're saying, well, my religion, the religion I grew up with taught some of that. Yeah, it did. It's absolutely universal truth. All of that is what we do. That's why I'm here. Every single word that comes out of my mouth is meant to turn you back to your own heart. That's really what I care about. That's really what my job is. Turn you back to your own heart. Encourage you to go back to your holy center. Beyond that, there are some things that are happening in unity that are confusing and difficult, and probably some of them have come up as questions for you. Some things that um, that maybe, maybe you struggle with. So I'm going to share a couple of those with you so that you can think about them. So that you can consider what what actually rings true for you and what doesn't ring true for you. One of those is, is a unity phrase that we use all the time that's called the law of mind action. How many of you have heard that phrase in unity? The law of mind action. So the law of mind action kind of works with Our third principle, and the third principle says, how you think moves the substance of God. And we said earlier, in order to use it, you have to know what the substance of God is, right? You have to make contact. Otherwise, you're just thinking out there. So I have a struggle with the law of mind action because we use it in in a way that I would call metaphysical malpractice. That we like to say to each other, Oh, you got cancer. What have you been thinking? (laughs) Oh, you're not prosperous. You know, Charles Fillmore said lack of prosperity is a sin. How come you're not prosperous? We use it, the way we use it is detrimental rather than beneficial. So the law of mind action says as we think, we create. If we think positively, We create positively. If we think negatively, we create negatively. So us in unity, if we have a negative experience, we are not supposed to think that way. So what we decide is, I'm going to be positive about this. Whatever this is, it's in divine order. That's baloney. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Hold on a minute. That... Only works if you take everything that's going wrong in your life and you push it down inside of you and ignore it. And that is going to make you sick. Life has real conditions. The law of mind attraction allows us to change our experience of those conditions. And I'll give you a really simple example. One I shared this morning while my husband was in the room, so you can know I'm not talking behind his back. Um, when Mark and I got together, Mark has, Mark has an entirely different perception of time than I do. It does not exist in his world under many different conditions. It just doesn't. And so we would make arrangements to go somewhere or do something at a certain time, and he would not be there. He would show up an hour later, Or, you know, 45 minutes. Oh, what are you upset about it? It's 45 minutes. My thoughts about that are, it's disrespectful. You don't care about me. Quit telling me you love me if you can't show up on time. (laughs) You know, really, come on. You need to be here when you say you're going to be here. Since when is your life more important than mine? So by the time he would get home, I would be seriously upset. I had worked myself into a dither, and he would hit the front door, and blah, blah, blah. not pleasant, <laughs> not pleasant at all. Over time, I've come to realize that that, that way of perceiving time for him happens when he's on, in a one-on-one conversation with someone, and there's only Now. He is deeply engaged in now. He is so present to people when he talks. And those of you that know him well will know this to be true. When you have his attention, you have his undivided attention. He is completely present and tuned in. When he's out in nature, he is owned by that. It it is his whole soul is immersed in it. And he really doesn't, all sense of time goes away. It has nothing to do with me at all, and everything to do with what I love the most about him, which is that he just tunes in in this brilliant, amazing way that I have to work hard to achieve. Knowing that and living into that, when he comes home, I can say, I bet you were talking to somebody, or where have you been? Tell me what you were doing, and actually be interested in what captured him what really happened and captured him that way. And it allows me to look for the best in him when he comes home, what I love the most. How I think changes my experience of life. Now, because I think differently, over the years, and Mark and I have been together for 17 years now, over the years, our relationship has grown deeper, We love each other more deeply. We have less conflict. We understand each other differently. An entirely different environment is created because I'm thinking differently. The condition of Mark being late has not changed. (laughs) Right? So, there are conditions in life that we did not create ourselves. There are conditions that are conditions that come from the fact that we leave, live in a field of mass consciousness, that there's a whole lot that happens around us. I promise you, you have very little to do with the sun rising or not. Right? There are conditions. The, the law of mind action through my filter, and this could be different for you, the law of mind action through my filter is that this experiential way of thinking changes our life as we move through because we, we experience something different and we grow in a different way. There are unity ministers who think completely the opposite, who will absolutely tell you you are making the sun rise or not, that it's absolutely black and white, this is the way it is. It's not that way for me. You have to decide for yourself what is true. All I can do is share with you what it means to me when I say that and give you the opportunity to consider it. Another one is that we are supposed to be like Jesus, which ultimately I agree with. What I don't agree with is we want it like McDonald's, fast food. Because I came on Sunday, I'm living like Jesus. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, you want it. Jesus, what is different here is that we perceive Jesus as a master, as a way-shower. We perceive him as a man. The great example, not the great exception. Every man I know made mistakes, learned things, became wise over time. Some men and women I know had wisdom as a child and grew more wise, and some people didn't gain their wisdom until later. But I promise you, he did not go through the God drive-through and get it all. (laughs) It's not when we talk about the teachings of Jesus. We're not talking about instantaneously being. We're talking about working toward, learning from, following the path. That's important to me. Another thing that is on my list is that we say unity is a positive path for spiritual living. And it is. But only if you're not engaging in metaphysical malpractice. Right? We're a positive path that allows you to think differently about all the things that happen in life. That encourages you to experience the divine and to move from that. So that when something difficult happens you actually engage it from the reality of what is happening that we're not just here in our Birkenstocks you know chasing bunnies around the backyard that's not what we're doing this is a a real thing do you get that this is a practice it's work It only works if we actually acknowledge that there are things that make us sad. That's what I loved about the song you sang is that you talked about being you when you're happy, being you when you're sad, being you when you're you're crazy and when you're sane, right? These tools are meant to work with us in our human condition. So unity is at an interesting kind of crossroads right now where um, some people define unity as new thought, some people define unity as new age, and some people define unity as practical Christianity. And there's a a group of people, a group of ministers that fall in all of that, and a group of unitics who, (laughs) who also fall in all of that. And for me, there isn't that. For me, those things are only one. There are teachings that are unity and there are teachings that did not originate in unity that fit very well. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, Someone asked me, well, what about channeling? And Linda will tell you, because Linda is our licensed unity teacher, that the one time I called her really frantic... During early in my time here, when I was studying, 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 was to say, oh my God, I found it. I found the place where Charles Fillmore and I do not agree. What do I do now? Because in Catholicism, you have to swallow the whole sandwich. You have to take it all. Whatever they say, it's true. And That's how I was raised in it anyway. That may not be accurate today, but that's how I understood it as a child. And so it really bothered me when I hit this, this one thing and thought, oh, there it is. I'm done. This is never going to work for me. And that one thing was, Charles Fillmore says, we don't practice any kind of divination. No channeling, no tarot cards, no astrology. No, 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 no. On all those things, no crystals, no all of that stuff. Because, and this is a good because, because we are moving people to find their inner divine. This is what we do. We bring you here and help you do this. So don't listen to anything outside of you because it's steering you away from here. Well, then I think we can put our Bible away. I think there's not a sacred text we can follow. I think we should stop talking to each other and I should go home. What do you think? (laughs) Right? So how did the Bible come into being? divine inspiration came through a human hand. Divine inspiration came through someone who wrote it down. And since that time, it's been rewritten and changed and twisted and turned and all kinds of things have happened, presumably by others who were hopefully in touch with their divine and reinterpreting and reinterpreting and reinterpreting. So if we say you can't listen to anybody who did that, then what do we do about this part? That doesn't work for me. What works for me is be very judicious in picking who you listen to and do not give them your power. They are, they are giving you how God is coming through them, how the holy is coming through them, how something is coming through them you'll know in your physical form by how you feel, whether that's true for you or not. So Charles Fillmore had a a love-hate relationship in my interpretation of his reading with the body. He talked a lot about sense consciousness and ego consciousness and kind of moved us away from this and into our mind and our heart. How do we think and how do we feel into things? I I, I believe strongly in sacred embodiment, in the power of truly being not separate from the body but connected to the body as a sacred center of truth because when I re-channeled information whether it's biblical or otherwise it's in the gut that I know whether it's true it's not here it's how it fits in my physical being so I don't, different than him I don't understand the body to be a place that we have to move away from. I understand it as a place that we accept as the oneness we are, that our body is no different than our soul in its oneness with all. There isn't miraculously a section of the universe reserved for bodies. When our bodies dissolve, they go back into the same oneness we all emerged from. They're simply a tool where we, we process information We process life, we digest life, we breathe life, we feel into what is true for us. When you pick up a crystal or a stone, and if you're one of those people who feels the life in it, because every single thing is in the oneness of God, there is nothing that isn't that. If you happen to be a person that feels that, and you feel like you're out of sync with unity, you cannot believe in oneness, that there is only one power and one presence, and that's all there is. You can't believe in that and say except for crystals or trees or, or rocks or stones or planets that we can follow. Is there one or is there not? And if there's one, it's all God. So the essence of that whole New Age argument for me gets moved aside when we come back to the God right here. That if we do this work, if we really call forth the divine of who we are, and settle deeply into the oneness to the point where nobody can ever tell you there's not God because you know God personally, because you have such a knowing that nothing else can ever take that away, then it doesn't matter what you listen to, you'll be able to discern what is true for you. And then we don't have to be afraid of crystals or stones or whose sacred book is right or what minister is seeing things which way, none of that has anything to do with our life, it all comes back to to this mysticism to this place of being centered in who we are. as we move forward in the rest of the year we 're going to talk about lots of interesting things next month we 'll be talking about compassion. What did Christ really mean when he talked about compassion? What is the story of Kuan Yin, who is a Bodhisattva who stayed here because of compassion? What was the the difference between Christ's teachings or the similarities between Christ's teachings on compassion and the teachings of the Buddha on compassion? What does it mean to live it? How do we know if we're living it? All of that still comes back to this place of recognizing our indwelling divine and being it. Everything we do the rest of the year, everything we do every single day, Whether you're here or you're at home or you're at work or you're at the park, all comes back to this, to this sacred, sacred center that there is one power and one presence and it is the divine and we emerge from that and it's who we are. I have some quotes for you. Alan Rufus said, Life is like a sandwich. Birth as one slice and death as the other, and what you put in between the slice is up to you. Is your sandwich tasty or sour? Anna K. Ezekiel said, The body is wise, the confusion is in the mind. Amit Ray, I have two quotes from Amit Ray for you. The first is, spirituality is not adopting more beliefs and assumptions, but uncovering the best in you. And the second, and I'll close with this, is God is whispering in your heart, in the whole of existence, just tune in your ears.